0: Kamel Duni-Tagba is an entrepreneur from Togo. He grew up in the West African country and was driven by his dream to become an international journalist. Kamel is a freelance journalist and writes for the North Africa Post, Middle East Confidential, and China Africa. He's interested in international relations, Middle East, and African politics. The versatile reporter is a UNESCO scholarship alumni and attended the Central China University where he obtained an MA in Linguistics and Communication. More recently, Kamel has ventured into entrepreneurship where he founded a company, Agbelcom Partners, a company providing communication, agribusiness, innovation and technological services in Togo. The vision of eventually expanding into Africa. Hi guys. Welcome to another episode of Young Professional African Edition with your host, Jonathan
1: Rowanika and Shanil Mudli, equipping you with all the right tools to jumpstart your career in an African context by sharing experiences and spreading the gospel of information. With original music brought to you by Africa's own, Yuneel Bediachi. Thanks, Kamal. Thanks for joining us uh, on the podcast. So um, I think the first thing that we we always kick off with is where are you from and where did you grow up?
2: Okay, uh, I'm from Togo. Uh, First of all, thank you for having me uh, on this interview. I'm from Togo. Uh, I was born in another part of the country in a city called Sokode, which is the second largest city in terms of population uh, in the country. So, yeah. I'm from, I'm a team speaker, a language spoken in the northern part of the country.
1: Okay, awesome. So you said it's the second biggest place in Togo. How many people are in there? Do you have any idea? Because Togo is not, not that big.
2: Uh, yeah, roughly, roughly, roughly seven, seven 700,000 people. 700,000 people.
1: Sure. That's quite small by African standards, eh? <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very small. You know, the country is very small too. So we are... Seven million in total in the country, and uh, uh, largest, the largest chunk of the population is, is based in the capital city. So, the, the other city that has uh, the largest population uh, is that city. So,
1: awesome, man. And I think you're, you're the first person that we've had on the show from Togo. So, you're representing uh, all, all seven million <laughs> right now. Eh? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, it's a pleasure. So,
1: uh, pleased to be around. Yeah, so, cool. So, so tell me, um, did you, or you know, traditionally in in an African country, we always focus on university and things like that. I know you're an entrepreneur now, um, but did you go to university? Was that ever on the cards for you? And is that something that um, people from Togo aspire to?
2: Yeah. Uh, first of all, I attended University of Lomé, which is the, our first uh, state-funded university, and I did my B.A. MA, sorry, I did my MA there in linguistics, uh, African linguistics. I did linguistics and after my, B, uh, my MA, I, I moved to China where I studied uh, foreign languages, especially, I expanded my knowledge in linguistics. So that was on a scholarship from UNESCO, the Chinese government. So I came back from China in 2013. Uh, I started working as a journalist, uh, and also as a tour guide. A tour guide because I loved tourism before. I wanted to have a uh, career in tourism sector because it's a very a large industry, a very interesting industry where you have you have to have uh, language skills and also have a, a very large knowledge of your country if you want to really be a tour guide or to, to operate in the tourism industry. So I was in the tourism industry for a couple of years. Then I moved into journalism, which was my prime uh, goal to be an international journalist so journalism led me to entrepreneurship yes
1: okay wow that's that's a really interesting journey you went from from togo to china and and now you're back tell me a little bit so you you're saying that you need to know a lot about the country tell me a little bit and and i think also for the for the listeners who aren't from togo what is the economy like in togo you know um what are the industries that are booming which ones are not non-existent. Well, tell us a little bit about that.
2: Okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, Togo, as, uh, as a typical African country, is very much dominated by uh, foreign businesses. Uh, the foreign direct investment here is very high. We have a very large population of uh, uh, Pakistanis, Indians, uh, Nigerians, Lebanese as well. So, the country itself exports cocoa, coffee, and also phosphate. We are one of the leading countries that exports fast in the world. And uh, our economy is largely agricultural economy with uh, cash crops such as coffee and cocoa. But we also have other sectors that are also very uh, booming. With, for example, the logistics, we have one of the... Cheapest and the largest harbor in the sub-region, apart from that of Côte d'Ivoire. Uh, we had the second largest harbor in the in the sub-region. And a country such as Burkina Faso, Niger, Mali, they ship the goods um, from our our harbor, so which is a very major hub for them in the sub-region. We also have uh, an economy that is um, very, um, uh, like I don't want to call it a tertiary, tertiary economy. Uh, it's much based on uh, uh, secondhand clothes, clothing, sorry. A lot of clothes that are, we have here, we don't produce clothes, but we do import a lot of clothes, secondhand clothes. Ghanaians, Nigerians, uh, and other uh, country, uh, neighboring countries, Mali, Niger, they come down here to collect, to buy secondhand clothes, and then sell back in the various countries. Uh, we are a country that is also known for very active women we have a group of women we call Nana Benz. they are the first women to own a mess Benz in this country uh, they had a lot they made I mean they were actually our business powerhouse but these women have uh, come, uh, gradually leaving the uh, the scene for the young the younger ones especially their daughters who are come who have come back from the states from Europe where they got educated uh, let, let me tell you that these women I was earlier mentioning about, uh, the they didn't go to any school, but they, they could do business. And they were actually the backbone of our business because they, they, are, they are into retail market, especially clothes uh, and fabrics as well. Uh, so that's it in a nutshell. But right now, the economy is um, a bit uh, slow. It's a bit slow uh, because of the impact of COVID. In 19, but the government is now trying to inject a lot of money into the agriculture sector to produce locally made food uh, so right now, one area where people can really go into as far as investing in Togo is concerned is the sector especially the business sector uh, the other sector that could be of, of great interest is the, the tourism and hospitality management sector but Unfortunately, like uh, across the world, uh, the industry has been very much affected. But we have a very nice beach, uh, coastal uh, uh, line, about 56, 56 kilometers uh, with a nice beach. But uh, we lack investment in that area. I remember when I was a tour guide, um, I happened to, to be with a couple of uh, British uh, tourists who were on our bus. They were telling me, Come on, you have a nice and beautiful beach. Why don't you invest into that sector? But I have the feeling that the government does not really um, count on that part of uh, investment, to that part of uh, industry to to create jobs. But quite recently, some other uh, investors, especially Lebanese and then Moroccans and Italians, are looking into the hospitality industry, especially tourism as well, to see if they can create Hotels and so on, and the government recently got to got to know that okay, tourism could be a very nice, uh, very important uh, money generating industry uh, business for the country. So recently, the government and especially the president has been pushing for conference tourism. I guess you know that uh, organizing so many conferences in the country in order to first of all promote the country as a destination and also as a a place where people can come and hold the conferences and so on so the it's actually an area that people can come in as for investment but it's very uh nascent as as an industry so that's it yeah
1: that's that's really cool so you're speaking a lot i i I hear you speaking quite a bit about the government and you know the, the the various sectors that they've identified what is the sentiment in Togo around the government? So in South Africa, for example, you know, the people don't have the best relationship with our government um, because of corruption or whatever else it is. You know, there's, there's a whole bunch of concerns. Do you, do you believe, or does Togo in general, is the general um, consensus around government positive or negative? Generally,
2: it's negative because uh, this is a country that has known a very difficult history sorry for past. Uh, And also we've had a turmoil, political turmoil since the independence until now. uh, Elections have never been held free and fair. Uh, There has always been turmoil uh, before and post elections. So the current government, the current regime is actually the extension of the previous one as you know, the current president is the son of uh, the late president. So he doesn't have a very good image uh, publicly. And uh, his last election also has been contested, uh, rejected by uh, the opposition, which has uh, very large support in the, in, the, in, the pop, the, in the population. So people don't really trust the government. But, you know, as you know, in uh, most African countries, I'm speaking as a journalist, uh, sometimes people don't really understand the game. Uh, The international, uh, the geopolitics in uh, African countries. So, the population, uh, they don't have a very broad understanding of how politics is played out. Sometimes, even if the government has good intentions, because it's a government that is rejected by people, people don't believe in the policy the government wants to implement. So that's, that's a major problem we are facing in this country. The, part, the government or the president can come up with a very good initiative. As long as this initiative is coming from him, it's a very, very initiative. I, I remember I was part of um, his, the current president's plan to have a 2030 vision for this country. I was part of the initiative. And we started attending meetings, and all of a sudden, it turned out that, okay, this is an initiative by the by the current president, to maintain himself in power to 2030. So can you imagine that? Some countries have visions for 20, 2071. They've never said that, okay, the government wants to maintain itself until 2071. But here in our country, 2030, people are already translating that into initiative for the president to maintain itself until 2030. So they don't have any trust at all in whatever comes from the government, whether it's good, or with a very nice incentive or initiative from uh, from this uh, current regime. So that's what we are facing. And as a youngster or uh, young entrepreneur, if you happen to also start yourself sometime with uh, with the regime, you are rejected by the people, and also you are casted as a, as a supporter of the regime, which is very bad sometimes. Yeah.
1: Wow. Okay. So, so I think yeah, I I can understand that sentiment. Um completely based, based just on their vision of, of trying to maintain power. So you, you also say that you're an entrepreneur. Let's, let's maybe chat a bit about that. Um, are, are many people your age entrepreneurs in Togo or do many people, you know, go work in a bank or go work somewhere else? So I guess the first question is what do most people do? And then secondly, what are you, tell us a bit about your businesses.
2: Okay. Uh, you know, we have inherited from uh, the french the french system which is uh, working for the for the state or working for someone and until recently people got to know that the government cannot afford jobs for people so the new this new trend of entrepreneurship i mean became very popular and a lot of youngsters are now going into entrepreneurship to start own businesses so it's it's not comp- right now like a very much a supported agenda by the government. But I, I I know of recently that there is a, a national plan to support young entrepreneurs you know, on, the, on the ground. So a lot of people are still reluctant to go into entrepreneurship because it's for them it's very difficult. You need your, your seed capital to start a business, and you don't have that seed capital to start that business. So it makes it difficult. And they also see that as something that uh, a challenging uh, endeavor, that when you go into it, you might, you might fail. You might fail and then you might find yourself uh, jobless and you still need to go back to your parents to give you money for your daily bread and so on. So, but for me, what I've noticed is that a lot of people, people go into entrepreneurship not to make a change, but they want to make some money. That's, that's the problem we're facing too. So it's not about solving problems on the ground, but I'm not getting a job. Let me find a way to, to make a living at the, month, at, the, at the end of the month. So people prefer going to entrepreneurship. So it's not about uh, solving problems um, that the country is facing. Sometimes when you, I remember last year, I ran a project, uh, I organized the first street food, food festival in my country. and People were asking me, uh, what, are you, what are you gaining from that? Are you making any money out of that? I said, no, I'm not making any money. Uh, I I really want to do something for my country. So people say, "Oh, good luck. So that they've never seen somebody who is going to entrepreneurship not to make money, but just to uh, just to make an impact. So this this is in a nutshell what entrepreneurship is all about in the country. Uh, it's it's a, an asset initiative or in, uh, endeavor, but not a lot, not many people or a lot of people believe in in it. That's 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 it. Now, as far as my business is concerned, my, my company's name is AgliCom Partners. AgriCom Partners, this is a combination of Agble and Com. Agble in a, a local language here means farm, and com is communication. So, I'm combining farming and communication. So, in AgriCom Partners, we are operating in three fields, or three domains, where uh, communication, first of all, A great business and innovation and technology communication. First of all, because not only I'm also I'm a journalist, I'm also conference interpreter. I interpret conferences and I also translate documents. So I thought, okay, I can still go into that sector because the market is not very very that congested. There is still a market share that I can see. My company can see. So, so I'm providing uh, conference interpretation services as well as voiceover services and uh, we are currently looking for partners in Nigeria and in South Africa to see if we can, how we can help South Africa and Nigeria um, promote the movies, movies here in, in Francophone Africa. In, uh, uh, in agri-business, we are, we, are do, we are proposing what we call agri-analytics, for example. A lot of people want to go to ag- agri don't but they don't know what to what product, what produce to grow, they don't know the market to sell, and they they don't even know where to get the money for it. So the idea here is to provide is to give them some uh, counseling on what is available out there in terms of agricultural produce. What what works? What is easy to sell? Because you cannot grow something that you cannot sell. Right? It will be a waste of money. So we want to be able to tell them what what agricultural produce they can invest in what land they can grow on and also the markets the market where they can sell the agricultural produce. So, that's what uh, agri-analytics is. So, we are working with data. We are using data to make projections in agriculture. So, in our opinion, with our services, people will know, will easily invest into agriculture and make return revenues from it without having a shadow of that fear. Of so, that's what we do in uh, agri-analytics. We also uh, producing compost from uh, food leftovers from hotels and restaurants because we've uh, been, uh, I've, I had operated in the tourism sector. I happen to be in hotels and restaurants sometimes. I see people throwing away food and it's still going on. So then the idea came up to me to see okay, why don't you collect that food waste from? the restaurant and hotels turn it into compost and send it, send it back to farmers. So it's, it, over here we're trying to build a bridge between the food industry and the farmer. The farmer, the farmers will get the waste from the food industry and uh, the, the hospitality management and turn it, and turn it into uh, uh, fertilizer, green fertilizer that you can use in his in farm. The last uh, field or domain that we are also operating in is uh, the tech and uh, innovation sector. We, um, for example, when I came in this agri-sector, the government has been pumping money into agriculture and agri-business, and people have been designing applications, apps, and uh, new techs, and so on. But few people are making use of them. So it's like people are generating content, are generating, uh, are innovating, but no one is using the services. So here we want to provide a platform where we can, we can promote the product and promote the innovations and technology. Uh, but the core idea behind this technology uh, sector is that we have this core belief that talk, development is cultural. It has nothing to do with, for example, you can have the best education ever from the U.S. or from, from Europe. But you cannot still develop your country as as long as you don't understand the culture of your people. So we want to turn technology rather towards our culture. We want to turn technology uh, culture free. We want to be. We want to see our people. Even the lay person, the little girl in a remote city, remote village of this country, could use technology and design technology. That's why we are going to technology. So we want to see. Even a Togolese who has never stepped foot in a school we want to see me able to design and innovate. So we are positioning ourselves as the platform for innovation, for local innovation in this country. So that's what we are basically doing uh, in technology,
1: and uh, that's it. Yeah, man. That's the, I don't think that's it is the right word. That's a lot of stuff. You're doing a lot of stuff. That's awesome. Yeah,
2: we are we, we, we are doing a lot of stuff because we. The thing is, uh, for example, uh, the communi- I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I'm with a couple of other people for this business. So I'm handling the communication aspect of the business. The Greek, the Greek side is also handled by a different team. The uh, tech side is also handled by a different team. So I'm, I'm just the, the manager of the entire team. That's all.
1: No, that's, that's really, really interesting. And I think you touch on something um, that we've also spoken about in previous episodes. You know, you can have the best education, but if you don't understand the context of your country or the culture of your country, you're, you're unable to, to make an impact that matters, right? And what, what drives your passion? So you're obviously saying, you know, most entrepreneurs in Togo, they, they go into survival mode. They see it as a means to, to, to make money, which all businesses want to do. But you've got something else I can see besides money that's driving you. What is your passion, and where is it coming from?
2: Okay, Uh, my passion is coming from my journalism job. Uh, You know, I work with uh, Morocco-based media, and and I cover the Middle East region and Saudi Arabia, Qatar, United Arab Emirates, Kuwait, Bahrain, um, Iran, Turkey, Morocco, Algeria, Egypt, Tunisia. These are my areas of focus. Let me tell you that. That's where the world is actually running. That's where people are running the world. Money is over there. But I was really, all started when I, last year when I was writing a, an article on a, an investment, sorry, a project in Saudi Arabia. A project by the current Crown Prince, uh, Mohammed bin Salman. He's running a project of $500 billion in, the, in, the, in Saudi Arabia to build a city the over 25,000 kilometers square. Everything is digital. But people who were convened to discuss the project were the likes of Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Ma, uh, Jeff Bezos, and so on. I said, these guys, what the typical thing that, the typical feature they all share is that they are businessmen. They are not workers. They are people who are generating some ideas. Then I said, the world is interested in people who can create not people who you can you can sit at a negotiation table when you create you cannot sit at a negotiation table when you're seeking a job job. then i said i want you a few people in my country are aware of such projects and I, i i'm not trying to brag but i'm the only person in this country that is is working on that region of the world and i'm saying what, what can I provide? What, what kind of added value can I provide to my country? So the added value for me here is to go into entrepreneurship. What I'm learning from the Middle East, let me go into the market, let me go into the field, apply it. And then that will, that's the only way I can make the change. Because taking your pen, sitting behind your keyboard, writing an article, that's fine. A lot of people will read the article. But as you know, in Africa, Few people do read, right? And they will read and they will not implement it. So I say, I I don't want to continue blaming myself, blaming leaders. I'll stop blaming leaders. I want to go into action. So go into action and be that uh, change maker is what drives me to to be in entrepreneurship. So I'm not, I'm into entrepreneurship to solely make money, but I'm into entrepreneurship to make a change. I want my country to remember when I'm dead, when I'm dead. Okay, Kamal happened to do this for his country and that's my merit, that's all. Because you can have as much as money you want, but it might happen that the world will, will not remember you. The world only remembers people who make change. Yes, the world doesn't remember people who make money, that's all.
1: That's my try. Definitely, man. I think that's a wonderful sentiment. Um, I you know it's it's I love speaking with entrepreneurs like you from across the continent because I think sometimes the the challenges that we have in Africa and, and myself included you know you just look and we have a I don't know if you guys say this in Togo but in South Africa we say something we just go ish and it means okay. like, <laughs> it just means like ah this thing looks uh, extremely difficult so then you know it becomes very overwhelming. And it's great that you've still got this, this attitude and I think that we need a lot more people like that, not just in Togo but across, across the board because we, yeah, we face similar things. So maybe my, my last question then is to other aspiring entrepreneurs who come from big economies like Nigeria um, to smaller economies like Burkina Faso or Togo or whatever, what, what sort of advice would you have for, for a young entrepreneur um, who's, who's thinking about their journey but, but also feeling you know, overwhelmed by it and by the challenges that we're facing.
2: Okay. Uh, I've learned something. They said the fear is, is we have a fear not because, uh, it exists is because we, we don't try. The fear is comes from our, our inability to try. And once you start, it's difficult. Uh, once you start, you start breaking the ice but what i will what i would advise people to do this they should ha- they should always be reminded people are looking up to them let me give you an anecdote in 2017 i started a business with a friend of mine we i look around i couldn't see any professional drivers in this country because people they have a driving license they call themselves drivers but we have the the tool, i mean the percentage of accident is growing every single day so I told my, my friend guy, you know, one business we could do is to to come up with a service for professional drivers. And the, my friend said, okay, come out. This is a nice idea. Let's go into it. Let me tell you that we make announcement on various radio stations for recruitment. Two a.m. Two a.m. At dawn, I receive a phone call. Sir, I want to submit my application. So. What? So it means that somebody out there is really looking up to us, now, I want to work for you. So it means that I, I too can do something for someone. I can make a change in somebody's life. So having people in my mind that okay there is a community always looking up to me is, is what should we should be aiming at, what should we should be thinking about when you want to start a business. Let's not give up because somebody somewhere will benefit from our, our, our tribe, our courage. If we give up, then all these people have to die or they have nowhere to look up to again. So we always have to bear in mind that the people are looking up to us and that's what should motivate us all the time.
0: What a very interesting episode, Shanil, uh, with Kamal from, from Togo. Uh maybe just before we jump in, uh Chenille, just to correct you there, I, I heard you say he's the, he's the first one from talk. Uh so we actually had kale uh who's also from Lome, well, in season one. Uh so that was just uh, just to just a note, note before we begin.
1: But yeah, brilliant. Yes, yes. I apologize on that one. <laughs> yeah, no stress, no stress for that. Uh,
0: we've had a lot of episodes, by the way. I think we're approaching thirty something. I have no idea. Uh, you know, we had 20 plus 8. Yeah, we've had a lot of episodes. But anyway, about the episode, Janil, you know, what were your major take-homes take, take, take homes from this very interesting um, uh, perspectives coming out?
1: Yeah, so so I think they were very um, Africa-themed ones, just, you know, while he was speaking, drawing the, the similarities between the distrust of governments um, and and also the focus on agricultural sectors and um your, your your sort of primary industries and and I think that's something that's something that's that's that, that we see all over Africa but what I think is also quite interesting, which is another i guess very African theme is that when when we whenever we speak to these countries, the places that we do business so for example, he listed uh, Bikino faso as one of them, it's always the, the surrounding areas and for example, you know, South Africa, Botswana, um, Zimbabwe, we, we often do business with these surrounding areas and I think it's, yeah. it's, it's just quite interesting and, and hopefully the Africa Free Trade Agreement is, is going to open that up more so that we, we're getting exposure to, to the entire continent. That was just an interesting yeah. point to note as well. And your side? Yeah, the, like, so,
0: sorry, you just brought up something interesting there about the geographical location and, and business. Uh, I think also a lot to do with that is that French-English uh, division across across Africa. I think because, you know, South Africa and Zimbabwe and, you know, Zambia are in, uh, English-speaking, we sort of, like, close our, ourselves out of the French-speaking markets because of, you know, um, obviously big business can hire interpret in, interpreters and all of that but you know for smaller businesses medium sized businesses it, it becomes very inaccessible uh, but but you know just to talk about the episode i think the context the togo context uh his feelings about the the government uh he talks about the need uh, for you to not think about the government and just think about what you can do um Without government assistance, uh, and I, I think that's a, a very African uh, uh, thing that is very similar. You know, if you go to like a Zimbabwe, uh, many of these countries where the social contract doesn't seem to exist as it does in developed countries, where because you're a tax-paying citizen, you expect you know certain things back from the government, but it's it's not always the case in in most of these African countries. Uh, and I sort of, I sort of thought that context is, is exists in a lot of African countries, and uh, I was quite interested by how similar to- Togo was with with a lot of these African countries.
1: Yeah, that that actually also surprised me. I I really th- I, the I think the expectation when he started speaking about that, I was expecting him to say that you know there's actually a lot of reliance on government and they're actually working well together just because of the population size. Um, one of my I guess assumptions around corrupt governance or, or governant governments that don't deliver is that in Africa we sometimes got too many people or we've got like a huge amount of people for for government to to handle. So like South Africa, you know, 60 million people. That's that's a lot of people with varying backgrounds, varying interests. Uh, so so I thought that would be like the main consideration, but it turns out that it isn't. Because I, I actually, you know, I and I agree with these views. Like often when I discuss government, especially with um, my, my family and the old generation when, when they asked me you know what's what's the purpose of, of government i said it's, it's the hurdles in a race um, and, and that's sort of how I, I also view it it's stuff that you just need to, uh, to get by or get through I, you know it's because of
0: our complicated relationship with our African governments yes. I, I don't know i don't see if you noticed how that rationalization of like, maybe it's because of the population. Like, I think we, we even try to find reasons for why things don't work. It's a very uh, unhealthy relationship, I will think. But yeah, but, but, yeah but, it, but anyway, you know, just to, just to agree, uh, I, I also felt like, because he's doing a lot of things, um, but he's, he's also a freelance journalist, and that's a career path that is not as uh common in an african uh, context but i think journalism is actually a a pivotal foundation of any any democracy because you know it, it it's supposed to keep governments accountable by reporting the truth and things that are actually happening in in states but I think because of that media censorship that that happens in most of some of these Af- uh, some of the African countries, it sort of loses that you know potency. Uh, but 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 I really liked the fact that he he was in that field and you know reporting for one of the a lot of these big online news agencies and you know contributing uh, towards this accountability mechanism that should exist.
1: Yeah, and and I think you know, just on that point, his his drive and his ambition around social change, is is really um, noteworthy. The fact that he wants to go into journalism, the fact that he wants to push um, push back and question things and and see what's happening here and there, you know, he's he's really got the attributes for journalism, and and I think that that's something really, really uh, that, like you said, it, it's really needed in a democracy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's it. it. What 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 else, Genie? I I think I'm forgetting now what we just.
1: Yeah, yeah. So for me, another another big point um, that I was I was just thinking about, and I think you know I'd I'd love to hear other people's perspectives on this from from our listeners. So please do DM us because I haven't thought about this for long enough. But but I guess I've I've just been thinking about it since since doing this interview, and it's you know he says uh, close closer to the to the end. Or when he's talking about business that in Africa, we often get into business for, for money, you know, to, it's, it's survival, it's, it's a, to sustain ourselves and we don't do it to solve a problem. And, um, you know, I, I, I just started thinking about that and I was thinking, how does this actually affect us in the long run? And what, I, what I've sort of started coming up with is that when we, when we focus on where we are now and how we can make money now and where demand is now, yes, we're chasing cash flow, but you know, we, we might be chasing industries that are either in the long run going to, I don't know, be disrupted or get replaced, um, but, but it's sort of, it's prohibiting our innovation in that we aren't chasing new markets or creating new markets. So we're not going to see the likes of a SpaceX come out of, of Africa or Google or a Facebook or something that's, you know, targeting a completely new market that's solving an, an old problem with, with new technologies. Simply because we we keep chasing the puck where it is and not necessarily where it's going to be. What what are your yeah. thoughts on that, Jonathan?
0: Yeah, that's that's a very interesting perspective. I've never thought of that, Janil. But you know, once I heard you say it, I started thinking about you know Amazon in the nineteen nineties. You know, the business model of burning through cash, reducing prices, so that they could the undercut competitors and create that competitive advantage. Amazon saw no profits for probably a decade. Netflix, you know, burning through money to create content so that they can create the giant that it is today. Like, I don't even think Tesla has ever made a profit. I stand to be, to be corrected, but last I checked, maybe a year or two ago, they were just burning through billions and billions of dollars. But, you know, it's, it's because innovation requires that a large outlay of money uh, without return in the medium to short term, which is just not available in Africa as you're contextualizing it. Most entrepreneurs, uh, we do it because of, uh, of necessity or because of demand. You know, uh, maybe that explains why most of our billionaires are, we don't have, do we have tech billionaires? Probably not. It's mostly the things like, you know, oil, oil refinery or, you know, actual sale of physical goods. Um, uh, but is that where Africa is supposed to be in, th- in 30 years? Should should innovation not have changed certain things? How we collect data and move Africa forward to a cert- uh, a new space? I, I think th- that's a very good question, Shino. And I-, I think you're right, actually. Uh, that's just all. That's just my
1: yeah yeah definitely i think it's it's definitely um food for thought so gonna gonna think about that more and and please if anyone has any differing opinions or or any answers or or just any thoughts at all just just reach out to us on our social social media networks and um chat to us because we're always open to listen and learn thank you for tuning in to this week's episode
0: of young professional african edition if you haven't already Please subscribe to the show on Apple Music, Spotify or whatever platform
1: that you use to listen to podcasts. And if you enjoyed the show, give us a like and a follow. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at YP underscore Africa. That's YP underscore Africa. And if you've missed an episode, don't stress. You can catch up on our YouTube channel, YP underscore Africa. Like and subscribe, guys. Like and subscribe. That's it from us, guys. See you next week.